tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. <laughs> I was just discussing with the voice in my head the the opening theme. I wondered whence came that. And um, um, actually, it's sort of a German Freude, the Ode to Joy, but with a salsa beat since I spent so many years among Caribbean people. So that sort of sums it all up. But speaking of summing it all up, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, o Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, let's do it. Let's open the big book on the coffee table, the Bible. Let us uh, quickly go to the um, the Gospel, and then because I want to spend a little time on the first reading. But um, again, a Pharisee invited after Jesus had spoken. A Pharisee invited him to dine at his home. He entered the table. He entered and reclined at table to eat. People always wonder what that what's that mean? Recline at table. They ate laying down. Uh, they ate laying on these low couches. You propped yourself up on your left elbow and ate with your right hand. I have tried to do this. It is incredibly uncomfortable, but that's what they, Romans actually thought that to eat sitting up was a penance. I can't figure that out. But I guess what you're used to. Well, the Pharisees were amazed to see that he did not observe the prescribed washing before the meal. If you go into a kosher restaurant over in the corner somewhere, you will see a sink and a little cup with two handles on it. There is a precise way to wash your hands, and the Pharisees had a passion for definition. Uh, that <clears throat> you, the, the amount of water had to be an eggshell and a half, and the prescribed method was you pour it, pour it over one hand, and rubbed, you made a fist with your hand, and rubbed it in one palm, then rubbed it in the other, um, and uh, there was a prescribed prayer you said. Well, it says to do this in the Bible. Well, not quite. It says you should wash before eating, but uh, it doesn't say when, it doesn't say how. But the Pharisees wanted to to uh, define it exactly. And they called this putting a hedge around the law. You must do this. You need do no more. You may do no less. And it was exact. And people love that. We would say, oh, that's ridiculous. No, people love that. 
Um, people are always asking exactly what does the law require? Is it a sin if I? At what point, if I come into the Mass, uh, is it a sin and do I have to go to the next Mass? That sort of thing. And that's exactly what they were about. Uh, when someone asks, uh, for instance, can I go to three Masses on Sunday? Uh, well, it's better than saying, uh, how little can I do? <laughs> rather than say, rather than saying, how much can I do? But still, um, we need, to, Jesus said, beware elsewhere. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. You see, leaven gets in a dough and it sort of swells up and it's, it's, there's nothing to it, but it changes the, the, the quality or the loaf, the, the, the sense of the loaf of bread. Leaven was a, was a, a symbol in Judaism for corruption. That's why you get rid of it the day before Passover. So, this idea of the Pharisees, that this this attitude seems very religious, but it really is kind of anti-religious. The Pharisees started it for a very good reason. They wanted people to be part of the life of the temple. But the life of a, of, of the, the Sadducees, who were temple priests, were very restricted. Uh, there were all sorts of things you couldn't do. And for the average man, well, that would have been just an impossible way to live. For instance, uh, uh, Jesus talks about it elsewhere, the problem of an animal falling into a, a pit. Well, the Pharisees define precisely, if you put pillows in the pit, you couldn't dig, you couldn't lift, but you could throw pillows into the pit. For some reason, pillows, that wasn't work. And then on the, the, the animal could climb up on the pillows. Um, it's really a lot of work to do all that resting on Sabbath. And the Pharisees created ways that the common man could obey the law the same way the priests did, thus involving themselves in the life of the temple. But you had to invent some shortcuts. So that's that's what the Pharisees were about. And he didn't observe the prescribed washing before the meal. He probably washed his hands, but he didn't do it with the hand formed into a fist and with exactly an eggshell and a half of water. Um, he didn't do it in the prescribed way, I suspect. And the Pharisees thought, well, if he was a good person, he'd look like us. He'd be like us. And he calls them fools. Uh, you know, I thought we weren't supposed to do that, to call anybody a fool. Uh, well... Jesus does this because they're being foolish. And when I do it, I'm being foolish. Uh, we so often like to make rules and not simply um, and not simply make rules for ourselves, but for everyone else. And, and that, that's a terrible situation uh, to be in. And he, he, the word fool here, he's not calling them Raka, he's calling them uh, 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 inconsiderate. It literally means thoughtless, afron. It means unwise, uh, senseless. And and he's saying, he's saying what you're saying makes no sense. So he's not quite calling them fools. So I think you'll be happy with that. Well, Jesus simply says that that. 
God is much more interested in what's inside than on what's outside. We have to be respectful of what's outside, but if it's an exterior, an exterior observance without an interior disposition of the soul, well, that's called superstition. That's what it's interesting to look up superstition in the in the in the catechism. All right, let's get to the the first reading. There's so much in this reading. First of all. Um, Brothers and sisters, isn't there? So I'll just forget that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, I tried to explain yesterday that um, the um, the Jews had been thrown out of Rome sometime around 50 A.D., and so the church, which was thought to be just a Jewish sect, was ended in Rome. They they were gone. There was no church in Rome. There were no Christians in Rome because. The Christianity, the Christians were all Jewish at uh, 50 AD. Remember, that's only 20 years after the fact, and Paul is just beginning his <clears throat> his missionary life. Well, not just beginning, but close. So, uh, Paul, I believe, wrote the letter to the Romans to help reestablish uh, the, the church in Rome on a better footing, a footing in which Greeks and Gentiles, or Greeks and Jews, could get along. The word Gentile, of course, means someone from the nations. The word nation is gens, uh, and, and the, the, one, the, the common form of it is gentis. So Gentile means like the nations, the goyim. If you get called a goy by a Jew, it's not necessarily a compliment. It means a, a nation is a goy. In other words, someone from the nations, they're the goyim. That's us. So the one who is right, uh, oh, well, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first Jew and then Greek. It is written that the righteousness of God from faith to faith, for it is revealed in the righteousness of, it is revealed the righteousness of, for in it, I'm sorry, the gospel, for in it is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous by faith will live. I'm going to use righteous and faith as the words of the day because it's really easy to get this wrong. Then he goes on. Why does he follow this? The wrath of God is indeed being revealed from heaven against every impiety and wickedness. He says the one who is righteous will live by faith. Well, he, he launches into, well, the faithlessness. That, that's what he's talking about here. Um those who suppress the truth by their wickedness for we can what can be known about god is evident to them and god made it evident to them ever since the creation of the world what he's saying um ever since the creation of the world his invisible attributes of eternal power and divinity have been able to be understood and perceived in what he has made what he is saying is that um that jews have the, the torah the law but the Gentiles still have the law. God is interested in non-Israelites. And the great Jewish thinkers, the prophets and, 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 and the great rabbis of history have believed that, uh, even the ones after Christ have, belie have believed that, that the Jews have an obligation. Israel has an obligation to the world. They're a gift to the world. Whereas a lot of people in history have thought it's us and them. You know, it's uh, it's the Jews have thought it's us and them. The Gentiles have thought it's us and them. And what Paul is saying is that's not true. That God has revealed the Torah to uh, non-Jews through the, through the world, 
And this is absolutely true. And he goes on to say, as a result, they have no excuse. For although they knew God, they did not accord him glory as God or give him thanks. Um, while claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of, Im of the immortal God for the likeness of, of an image of a mortal man or of birds or four-legged animals or of snakes. In other words, he's talking about the religion of the Romans. Therefore, God handed them over to impurity through the lusts of their hearts for the mutual degradation of their bodies. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and revered and worshipped the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Now, you want to go on with this. Um, if you look at the text, uh, for instance, we go up to the, I think, the where, where do we go up to? Um, um, we go, I think, up to... Uh, 25. Well, read verse 26 and 27. Therefore God handed them over to degrading passions. Their females exchanged natural relations for unnatural. Males likewise gave up their natural relations with females and burned with lust for one another. Males did shameful things with males and thus received in their own persons the due penalty for their perversity. I don't want to go into that at length, but it certainly sounds like what we're enduring today. And what does it come from? It comes from worshiping the creature rather than the creator. You ever been to a gym where there are, are uh, mirrors all over the place so I can admire myself as I flex my muscles? You know, this, this whole thing about uh, um, worshiping the body. Uh, I used to... Uh, um, when I was... Now I just walk in the country sedately and quietly. But when I used to go to the gym... You'd see all these people chugging around thinking it was going to make them immortal, and it wasn't going to. You know, the, 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 the health kick of, well, of, it's still present, but uh, it, it started when I was a lad. It, it took the place of the hope of eternal life in a way that we thought somehow we could confer eternal life on ourselves. And I'm all for being healthy, but... There's going to come a point where you're not going to be healthy. It's called dying. So, uh, so far we, we still all die. So, uh, the voice where it says, should I not do jumping? Yes, you most certainly shouldn't. You'll break something. He's very tall. You'll, you'll break the ceiling lights. All right. Yes. He said very calmly and quietly. The, uh, yeah, I was just talking about somebody yesterday who, broke his wrist playing tennis at 25. That's not what this is about. But that kind of, um, uh, Worship, well, I guess we're just worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And uh, I'll end this harangue with, with something that, um, that um, Cardinal George said. He said, uh, and I think he may have been quoting someone, but I'm not sure whom. Um, he said that when you start your own religion, you pretty soon find out that you're worshiping yourself. And we live in a world in which we tend to worship ourselves these days. And so the quest for meaning and for love takes us into some very strange and very unnatural things. And all the while, somewhere inside of us is a little voice saying, you know, this is wrong. And we tap it down, we, we, we shut it up. And, uh, you know, I, I think I've shared this before, that um, the louder someone yells about their moral position, the less sure they are, that it is moral. In other words, you have to agree with me because if you don't agree with me, I can't endure the thought that perhaps I'm wrong and my moral position is destroying me. And that's the situation in which we find ourselves, that 
we can't judge anyone. No, judge not lest ye be judged is the only verse in Scripture that matters to anyone. And that's not what Jesus said. He said, don't be judgmental, which is quite different. You know, this idea that, that um, my morality is my morality and you have to agree with me, not simply permit me to do something stupid, but you have to agree with it and help me do it. Um, it's a very sad past that we've come to, and people become insistent on their moral position because unless everyone agrees with them, they might have to face what St. Paul says in this text. They're wrong. They know they're wrong. They know what they're doing is unnatural and evil and self-destructive. So let us speak the truth in love, making sure it's in love, but still the truth. All right, uh, we're going to go to our mass hysteria right now. Um, let's see. If we only have love with our oh, yes. arms open wide, then oh, yes. <laughs> the voice in my head just said, oh, I had to play it. I really like this song. It's just not right for the liturgy. <laughs> but at any rate, I got I, I got something that was kind of funny from, uh, from Jim, uh, the physicist in Wisconsin. Uh, you said that, ma and he's, he's not a Catholic. I, I believe he's Lutheran. Uh, you said the Mass is not about us, and whether we get anything out of it or not is irrelevant. And you've also... Uh, uh, said that the music is often inappropriate. Both positions are true. Uh, so uh, he makes the point, Protestant churches sometimes suffer bad music too, though I haven't heard anything quite as bad as the city of God yet. Let us build the city of God. That's not only bad, it's heretical. But, uh, uh, you know, I saw the heavenly Jerusalem come out of heaven. See, yes, heresy, but it's really nice sounding heresy. Uh, that was kind of fun. And also, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, there was one other letter I got that I wanted to con that was absolutely appropriate um, to this discussion we're having <laughs> these months. Where did I put it? Um, maybe this is it. Um Oh, this among the prizes for worst Catholic church songs of the seventy has to be "Wherever You Go" uh, by Gregory Norbert. You know, there's it's so hard to say that though. I, I thanks for the the letter, Rob, but it's just so hard to say that. There's so many bad songs. Maybe we should have a contest: worst song. Get a panel of judges. You know, forgive me for for. Yeah, no, no, don't email them in. I get so many emails, I, I don't know what I'd do. We'll, we'll think about it. But, you know, I'm really banging this, this, uh, this, this drum rather persistently. But once again, I just want to remind you that, that, um, the Mass is not an entertainment. And I, I still am kind of, Bowled away by a letter that, that we got, that I got, uh, uh, where did I put it? From, um, um, let's see, where did I put it? Where did I put it? It was a glorious letter about, um, uh, the, the, the idea that mass always risks becoming entertainment, even when it's good music. You know, uh, I think I've shared with you the, the, the Mozart's Requiem, um, that I was at. It was a very beautiful uh, Tridentine Mass, um, um, and there was an orchestra playing Mozart's Requiem, and at the Sanctus, after the, the Holy Holy, 
Lots of people got up and left because the rest wasn't written by Mozart. No, they missed the most important part of the Mass, the the uh, uh, physical presence of the Son of God. Um, but that didn't matter to them. It was the entertainment that mattered them. So uh, both the new and the old can, can be done badly, uh, inappropriately. Uh, I think that the the uh, uh, we mistake the reforms of the Second Vatican Council or the, the suggestions about the liturgy uh, from the Second Vatican Council Fathers as the liturgical movement. And the liturgical movement was really derailed, I think, in the 70s, badly. In the 60s, more like it. Um, and we had the perspective that if it was done in the early church, it was much better. So let's get back to the early church and let's throw in some songs to boot. Well, it was all downhill from there. We sort of began to improvise mass, thinking that we could improve it. And I, I, I think that uh, that we need to understand that that and it's a very hard thing to come to. Mass is not an entertainment. Now there are things in the Catholic faith that are meant to be entertainment in a sense. We have prayer meetings, we have concerts of sacred music, we have novenas, we have liturgies, we have the, the liturgy of the hour, uh, uh, benediction, hymns are all appropriate at these things. But Mass, you got to understand, it is the new covenant. It's nothing less and nothing more. Well, why don't we have all these other services? Because no one will go to them. That's why. And I think that we have... We have missed the boat entirely. I think we have to kind of begin to plan again to expand the life of the church. In the, in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, not in general instruction, in the council documents. Oh, uh, I, I hear music in my head. I'll, I'll finish this when we get back. But you can call in at 888 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Oh, the glory of true love is a wild and precious thing. You know, I guess what I'm trying to say in all of this, I might as well get to the point um, except I'm having so much fun with the mass hysteria thing. I don't think it's going away soon. Um, in paragraph 116 of uh, Sacrosanum Concilium, uh, it says, The Church acknowledges Gregorian chant is especially suited to the Roman liturgy. Um, other kinds of sacred music are by no means excluded. Uh, but it also goes on to say uh, uh, that there are other... Th where does it say that? Did I erase it? I hope not. Um there are other services that 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 we have in the church that that the liturgy though it's the source and summit of our life does not exhaust the the spiritual life of the church or the liturgical life of the church and in a way it has come to exhaust it you know that uh are we going to are we going to have a retreat is it going to be mass well no well i'm not going to go then and why would I go to a service that isn't 
Mass because we have a Sunday obligation. I fulfill my obligation, but I'm not going to like a benediction service. Why would I do that? I, uh, it's my, my favorite television show is on. That's the Pharisee attitude that I was talking about. I'm, I know what minimum I have to do. And so I want to make the minimum as pleasant as possible. So I'll have all these, these wonderful songs from the sixties and the seventies from the groovy era. Uh, um, because you're not going to get me in church unless I got to be there or unless I get the, you know, the whole, the whole deal. And that's exactly the attitude of the Pharisees. Enough, enough. Let's go to letters. Okay, I'm sorry if I'm ranting and or raving, but I do. All right. This is a very interesting uh, uh, question, and I'm not sure that I know the answer, but I'll make something up. It's Elizabeth from Canada. I was wondering why when I received the Eucharist as the priest said body of Christ instead of the body of Jesus. Uh, well, Elizabeth, there's a lot of Jesuses in the world. I will never forget... Um, a a deliverance prayer at a prayer meeting. It wasn't quite an exorcism, and people are praying with this person. And the thing was, if you could get them to pray in the name of Jesus, that a demon couldn't do that. So this person, who was just really creepy, uh, was busy praying in the name of Jesus. And we would say, just say, in the name of Jesus, and say, in the name of Jesus. And then eventually said, in the name of Jesus Gonzalez. <laughs> in other words, I don't know what's going on, but if there was a real a real demon in that person, that demon was yanking our chain. There's lots of Jesuses in the world. The name just means Joshua, but there's only one Messiah. That's my suspicion, that we that St. Paul uses the word Messiah, uh, Christ, constantly. That's, of course, what the word Christ means, Messiah, because he wants to make sure you know which particular Jesus. He will sometimes say, our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's very rare that you don't see Christ um, in that connection. And I think it's because uh, of the specificity of the idea of the Messiah. So that's my thought on it. Um, because we do use Christ more than we use Jesus. Uh, I, I can't say Jesus when I'm praying unless I say Lord Jesus. It's kind of an odd thing. Um, let's see here. Okay. I did that one. That's about... Okay. Now, this is interesting. This is very interesting. This is uh, from Joseph about the real presence. Will you please speak to the topic why the real presence of Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity is not part of the creed? Well, because when the the creed was written, that was not what it was about every nobody doubted that the, the eucharist was the body blood soul and divinity of christ in the earliest church you see people writing about it uh what they wanted to do primarily was talk about the relationship of the father son and holy spirit because the big problem at that time was arianism which didn't said that there really was not a holy trinity you know, I explained, I think, yesterday, the Holy Trinity, if you believe God is love, the Holy Trinity makes perfect sense because God is relationship, Father and Son, together in perfect love. Well, there's Trinity right there. Um, so the bishops are, are trying to establish uh, this core of Catholicism. Wouldn't inclusion of this in the creed put all the freneticism to rest? Uh we can't add to the creed without serious problem because it was written in a time of greater unity. And um, we are in a state of, of turmoil with the Eastern Church because we added, they claim we added to the creed the words, uh, 
and the Son, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. It's called the filioque clause, because that's, and from the Son, is filioque in Latin. And the truth is that we added it in Spain because there were so many of these people who denied the Trinity. And so we added, the, the, the Christians have always believed that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, but they didn't find it necessary to put that in the creed. Uh, Eastern theologians will agree to that. It's our putting it in after the that point of unity in the church that was the problem. And uh, the Eastern Eastern Catholics do not add the filioque clause. They just say proceeds from the Father. Well, why didn't they put and from the Son if they believed it? Because the emphasis had to be on on the, the Trinity, that the Father was different from the Son and the Son different from the Father and the Holy Spirit different from either of them, that they were distinct and real persons. So we can't add to the creed. We shouldn't add to the creed. And the 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 truth of of the the uh, of transubstantiation, depending how you de- well, no matter how you define it, I think the Eastern Church has a different way of talking about it. But they're saying the same thing um, that that it wasn't a, a thing they had to stress. What they had to stress was the Trinitarian relationship in that creed, because Rome was ruled by an emperor. An emperor is not a super king. That's how we think of an emperor. An emperor, that word means military commander, like Caudillo, like Francisco Franco. A Roman would have called him an emperor, imperator, someone who has command, a commander. Uh, uh, well, Constantine, you know, there's one church, there's one baptism, but there are three gods. No, Constantine, there aren't three gods. I don't understand it. Constantine favored Arianism. And he got the bishops together to to define this. And they said, no, we're not Arians. We don't follow the teachings of Father Arius of Alexandria, that Jesus was sort of adopted by God and is sort of God, but not eternal like the Father. So the purpose of the Nicene Creed when it was written was to define God as the relationship of the Trinity. And so what's in there, we, we don't add to it. I hope that helps a little. It's it's um, it's a complex issue. How are we doing time-wise? Um, let me take one more letter just just to, 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 to do this here. All right. Dear Father Simon, thank you. For the, I'm first time addressing this issue outside of my parish. Um, oh, oh, you prefer to remain anonymous. All right, I can do that. I haven't said your name yet. Although my knowledge of liturgy and rubrics during the Mass is limited, Relevant Radio has provided answers and given me a desire to know more. This concern is about the editing of the Psalms during Mass on Sundays. When missalettes were still available, it was easy to realize there were differences between the choir and congregation. And the words were projected on the big screen. I hate that, the big screen. But that's for maybe I'll talk about that in Mass Hysteria. During the 27th Sunday Mass, my ears caught the word spouse being substituted for word wife in Psalm 128. You can't do that. Uh, spouse sounded generic, changed the message of the wife uh, being fruitful. You can't change it. In fact is... Everybody wants to change, uh, for instance, Happy the Man. Uh, uh, I'm, I always think of this in the wrong language. Uh, for some, the very first time, 
Happy the man who does not walk in the way of scoffers. Well, we should change it to the person. The fathers of the church said that that was a prophetic utterance about Jesus. Jesus is the man who does not walk in the way of scoffers. But no, we have to change it to be more inclusive because I can't identify with the word, this word, or you can't identify with that word. I'm not identifying with this or that word. It's about Christ. It's prophetic. So no, you don't change the text of Scripture, and you don't improve on the Holy Spirit, no matter how politically correct you want it to be. That's almost blasphemous to say, well, my translation is is better than what the Holy Spirit said. You want your translation to be as close to the original and still make sense, but you don't edit it for the sake of political correctness. That is... That's a real that's a real blasphemy, an irrigation to oneself what belongs to the Holy Spirit's so there. All right, with that pleasant thought, let us go to a break. Uh, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. We'll be right back, I hope. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Oh, happy day. Happy day. Oh, happy day. Happy day. Oh, this was an exit song in a parish I was at. And I really like the song, but exit song's all right. It's when you do this for communion that you're really over the top. All right, I want to remind you that Relevant Radio wants to give you a beautiful outdoor nativity set valued at over $500. We want you to have it in plenty of time to display it throughout the Advent and Christmas season. We're giving away a set to 200 lucky listeners. Register to win a set at relevantradio.com slash nativity. You have only until midnight, central time, October 15th. That's a mere three days away, give or take. All right, let us go to the word of the day. All right, in the first reading today, we read that... The, the righteous one, the, the one who's righteous will walk by faith, uh, will live by faith. Let's see what that says in Greek. It says literally, um, uh, um, the, uh, it is written, the just man, the dikaios, the just one, it's masculine, sorry about that, will live by faith. Now, that's uh, Romans one seventeen. Romans 3.18 repeats it. This is a repeated uh, theme. Um, that, that, um, uh, in Romans 3.18, that Luther actually added the word alone to it. And, um, the, uh, the idea of faith alone, the only place that the Bible mentions faith alone is in the letter of St. James. Um, uh, when, when it says, so it is clear then that, that, uh, one is not saved by faith alone. Well, what's going on there? Whenever St. Paul is talking about faith, and works in almost every place if you look in the context he's talking about works of the law and again forgive me for being tedious but there is a really thrilling dead sea dead sea scroll uh called some works of the law and it discusses the problem of a, a, a clay bowl that has become unclean 
Perhaps a dead rodent fell in it. And you're pouring water from a clay pitcher to um, uh, into the bowl. Can the uncleanness of the bowl leap up the stream of water because they're touching each other and pollute the clay pitcher so they all so the pitcher and the bowl must be broken and the pharisees said no and i was it today's office of readings that we had something like that uh that that contact with an unclean thing makes something unclean well the pharisees would have said not in this case the dead sea weirdos would have said yes uh and jesus and paul would have said pay no attention um and that 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 scroll ends, and these are some works of the law. St. Paul is saying you're not saved by the ritual prescriptions of kashrut, of kosher law. And Jews would essentially agree if you, you press them to it. So what's going on here? Why is he saying the just man shall live by faith? Well, remember how I'm translating these words, and I hope I'm right. Faith means trust. The just man will live by trust. And you're justified, you become this dikaios, this just man. What's a just man or a just person? A just man is a person who is godly. That the character of God uh, is shown us in the person of Christ. And I think it's summarized in Galatians, the fifth chapter. The fruits of the Spirit are these, love, peace, patience, joy, and so on. Generosity is part of justice. We don't think of generosity as justice. We think of justice as doing what you must, and charity is doing more than you must. And, well, there is that. But in God, there is justice. Justice is not optional, or generosity, rather. Generosity is not optional to justice. Generosity is a requirement of justice, as is kindness, as is humility. So uh, this godliness, to be just, is to is to reflect in our own way the very nature and character of God. And how do you do that? From trust. That if you trust God, if you really trust God, you're going to do what he asks you to do. And by doing what he asks you to do, you reach the goal of godliness. When you say the just man shall walk by faith, uh, it's like, I'm believing this. I'm saved. I went up and gave my life to Jesus when I was 10 years old at a camp meeting, and I haven't been to a church since or done anything worth doing, but I'm saved. I've met people who really believe that. And that's why St. James says, show me your faith. Show me your works. I'll show you your, I'll show you my faith. That uh, this idea of being saved by grace through faith we believe that, but if you understand that faith means trusting God, Jesus once said in the Gospel of John, when asked what is the work of God, he said the work of God is to, to believe in the one whom God has sent. Let us translate that. The work of God is to trust in the one whom God has sent, and believe me, especially if you're a parent, trusting God is a lot of work. So don't think that once you, once you join the club, you're in. No, no, you grow in trust, and that's the whole deal. All right, let's go to phone calls. Who have we got on the line, dear voice in my head? Marie from San Diego, California. Are you with us, Marie? Hi, Father Simon. Yeah, um, I have a question because yesterday um, Timory was talking sure. about um, sins and, and confession and all of that. And um, I just had a question mm -hmm. that she said, why don't you call Father Simon? Because it was at the end of the hour. <laughs> so um, 
So during the penitential <laughs> rite of Mass, when we say, I confess to Almighty God, yes. you know, the, that confess mm-hmm. my sins to my brothers and sisters, does that not mm-hmm. forgive our venial sins? And if so, then do we need to still go to confession for that? Now, now I know you were just talking about let's do more, not just, you know, the least that we have to do. But, yeah. <laughs> yes. Know, in a pinch, but no, in a pinch, that, yes, right? that... What I was taught, any act of repentance is forgiving of venial sins. Yeah. You don't have to go to confession for venial sins. It does help, though, because, you know, no no number of venial sins will make a mortal sin, but they do make the soul calloused so that when a temptation of mortal sin comes along, you're going to say, meh. You know, so it's it's very good to confess venial sins, especially repeated venial sins, because, well, I confess the same sins every time I go to confession. Good. Maybe then you'll hear them and realize they really are sins. Uh, I'm in the same boat. I had to go to confession and keep confessing the same sins. And someday I'll realize they really are sins and I'll repent. But but um, no, you're correct that 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 uh, if if we have an intention of repentance, uh, when we say, if we just say that, the, I confess, oh my God, my brother, says, if we do it without real intention, then I, I don't know how, how, how absolving it is. But yeah, if we, if we, if we confess our sins, uh, and remember, the word confess really means to agree or to admit. And, you know, I, I, I confess my sins all the time, but I'm not admitting that they're sins. So it has to, I think, be conscious and intentional. But yeah, you're correct that that, that uh, venial sins are forgiven by the penitential rite of the Mass. Does that help? I see. Yeah, I see. I, I guess, that, yeah, thank you. But I, you know, one time in confession I was saying, well, you know, I'm just going to skip all the little things. I'm just going to go straight to the, you know, the big hitter. And, and he sure. said, and, you know, the priest said yes. to me, well, he said, honestly... He said, you know, if what is that that Jesus said, you know, if you are faithful in small things, you will be faithful in large things. He said, you have to start yeah. with the small. He said, you know, and so it's important to confess everything. Well, it is it is important to confess everything, but it isn't necessary for absolution. You must confess if you have a mortal sin uh, on your on your conscience, you must confess that. Um, but it, I was always taught it is not necessary to confess those smaller sins. But on the other hand, I think that priest gave you very good advice that he's saying, you know, you may think it's a little sin, but it may not be as little as you think. It's good to examine it. I think a very important thing before confession is an examination of conscience. Lord, help me to see myself as you see me. So I don't know if that helps, if that gives it a different perspective. Very good. Thank you, Father. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And I, 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 thanks for listening. Well, let us, who have we got now? Cecilia from Queens. Are you with us, Cecilia? Yes, Father. Good. What can I do for you? Hi, good afternoon. Thank you so much for taking my call. I'm not sure if I heard you right. I was listening to you earlier, and then I got distracted by something. Suddenly, I heard you say the hymn, City of God is heretical. I'm not sure if I heard you right. And I if think you so. Did, though, if you did say so, <laughs> yes. please explain why. Thank you. Well, please take what I say with a grain of salt. But the idea of building the city of God, we can't do that. God does it. It's the same as I get crazy about when people say building the kingdom. You can't build the kingdom. Jesus said, little children, it is pleased your heavenly father to give you a kingdom. No, thank you, Lord. We're building one. We'll get back to you when we're done. Just don't get in our way. Same thing with the city of God. The city of God is God's creation. 
that, that we read in the book of Revelation. Behold, I saw the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, adorned as a bride for her husband, that this is the gift of God. And so often when we, when we want to build the city of God, what we want to do is to, is to kind of, uh, restructure the world to be the perfect place. And so many visionaries throughout history have done that. And it, it invariably ends in disaster. You know, the, the great prophets of the Reformation wanted to rebuild, for instance, the city of Geneva and the skies were bright with, with with bonfires burning people that didn't agree with the the leadership of the city of Geneva. Um, you know, you can't build the kingdom. You can't build the city of God. If you build it, it's your city. If you build it, it's your kingdom. So I maintain that those hymns are theologically errant. Uh, that's. I hope that. Exp- I hope that helps a little. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, God bless you. All right, now don't go punching anyone for heresy. That's not the way we do it, all right? <laughs> Be nice. All right, who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Amanda from Orange County. Are you with us, Amanda? I'm here, Father. Good, good. What can I do for you? Hi, I'm. so I'm driving around, and I just... Happened to see out of the corner of my eye this bumper sticker, and it says, "I love Jesus because I am Muslim." And I'm thinking, "What is oh, what is this sticker?" I try to search online. That's a that's a it's a bait and switch. It's a bait and switch sticker. It's a bait and switch. In other words, oh, we Muslims, we love Jesus too. They don't acknowledge him to be the Son of God. They think he's the Messiah, but he is not the Son of God. Uh, in fact, is in the Dome of the Rock. They have uh, verses from the Quran saying, uh, he does not beget nor is he begotten. He has no companion. Uh, because the Dome of the Rock was made to contrast with the Dome of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre across the valley. No, it's a bait and switch um, that, oh, I can be a good Muslim, uh, you know, as a Christian. I can, I, me, we and the Muslims are in agreement about many things. I think we probably are in agreement, but not about the nature of Jesus. They believe him to be a prophet. They believe him to be the Messiah. He didn't die on the cross. He was snatched away, and Barabbas died on the cross. Uh, and uh, he was snatched up to heaven, and he will return for the final judgment. That, I believe, is what Muslims believe about Jesus. So uh yeah they they made they they um uh do not believe Jesus to be who we believe him to be that that the very heart of God and they they believe that the idea that God becoming a human being would would diminish his divinity and uh because they don't believe that God is love they believe that God is will which is different so i hope that explains it does that help what is the intent with the sticker then? Oh, the intent with the sticker is is uh, I really believe it's an evangelistic sticker on the part of of Islam. I, I've seen that that similar things. Uh, it's to say that um, yeah, we're we're the same as you are, and that's not true. Uh, that we we do not believe the same things that Muslims believe. Though though I think uh, there are many things that we have in common in the moral law but not theologically. So there, it's, it's kind of a, can't we all get along, and maybe you should be interested in Islam because we have Jesus and, and Muhammad, and you just have Jesus. That's my suspicion about the intent. I may be wrong, but uh, 
Um, I hope that helps. Makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Well, thank um, you. Well, there you go. All right. Let's let's take one more call if we can. We just got a minute. Who have you, who have we got online, dear voice in my head? Anna from San Diego. Are you with us, Anna? Hi, Father. How are you doing? Pretty good. What can question. I do for you? I have a question. Mm-hmm. My father recently passed away three and a half months ago, mm-hmm. and I used to pray to yeah. his guardian angel that he take care of him. But now mm-hmm. that he's gone, what happens to his guardian angel? Well, I don't know <laughs> exactly. There are different theories. I don't know that they're reassigned. Uh, you know, the the guardian angel, remember, I'm always saying that for God, all places are here, all times are now. And the guardian angel has always been in heaven worshiping God, while at the same time accompanying your father on his journey through this world until he was ready to go home. And the guardian angel, what is the guardian angel doing now? He's doing what he always did, worshiping God. Now, he's also probably getting to know your father better. We trust that he's with the Lord. And, uh, you know, I don't know if guardian angels are reassigned. I, I, I don't know that they are. I, I suspect they're not because there are so many angels. There are a lot of angels. So, But he's doing one of the things I know he's doing is worshiping God as he always did. So, And don't you go anywhere because you, Drew is coming up and he's got the Divine Mercy Chaplet and... Well, we'll just keep worshiping God with the angels.